Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of You Guessed It, Cancel Me Baby. I have such a special guest today. And let me just tell you, if this conversation is anything like our private conversations, our DMs, our emails, you better hold on to your shorts because it is going down today. Okay, let me introduce to you the one and only Uni Turretini. Is that the right pronounce? That's the right Absolutely. way. Yeah, perfect. Yes. And she looks so beautiful too today. But let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a speaker, a writer, a connection expert. Okay. She was on ABC's The List. She was on Fox. She is part of the New York Bar. She worked in law. And you guys are going to love this. She wrote a book exposing those hoes over at the Nobel Peace Prize. So, Yes. Like I said, it is going down today. So here's how it's going down, guys. We're going to kind of do this in two parts. The first part, we're going to talk everything, cancel culture, how it's leading to, I feel like people don't really talk about this, but the loneliness problem, it's like an, a loneliness epidemic, as Uni says. Um, her book, Betraying the Nobel, which is from 2020, I am salivating, cannot wait to get into this. And then the second half is going to be all things gender. Okay. You know, toxic femininity, gender roles, um, you know, men being emasculated, all this. Oh my God. Oh boy. It is. I'm grabbing my coffee. Uni. I'm ready. Welcome to cancel me baby. And thank you for joining us and your gorgeous orange blazer. I don't know about you, but I am so ready. Here's my coffee. <laughs> thank you so much, Taylor. I am so excited to be here and talking with you. I've been listening to your podcast and it's so much fun listening. And also it's so, it's so refreshing to just listen to someone saying it as it is. And I think that's what's lacking today, right. In our, in our culture. I appreciate that so much. And that's why you and I kind of hit it off because sadly that is the, the truth. It's like what people are thinking, but we don't hear but, mm -hmm. it, and so it's refreshing. So you and I immediately hit it off. We're going back and forth with all of these ideas. So let's just hop right into it. Also, I never normally shoot this early in the morning. So let's see how it goes. I'm either going to have less of a filter, like truly give no apps or just have a, like an IV drip, you know, of coffee. So we'll see how this goes, but you brought something to me that was really interesting. Okay. With this whole cancel culture, what we can and can't say I feel like there's even a level. I mean, I even do it on my show of like a self censorship, mm -hmm. right? Because you don't want to slip and say something wrong, but you talk about how it's lending itself to people being really lonely and it being yeah. a problem. So talk to me about that. Cause I feel like that's something, you know, people don't explore. Yeah, it, absolutely, Taylor. And we know, like, we, we've been talking recently, you know, past few months, you know, even a couple of years, talking about this loneliness epidemic. Uh, you know, so many people today struggling with loneliness in the US right now. Three out of five American adults, right, are struggling with loneliness. And the, the younger, you know, from 18, between 18 and 30, are those who are struggling the most. Wow. And we talk about this as a, you know, mental health issue and all the things, but we don't really talk about why, right? And I think today, you know, with our, I mean, just like go back to like how you're censoring yourself and how we all like how I'm censoring myself on my Instagram, 
right? Like not speaking courage, like courageously enough, like telling it as it is. And when we don't do that, when we don't show people who we are, when we are not, we're not being authentic, basically, we're following a narrative that we think is what's expected of us. And so, so that we can fit in and be accepted and be loved and all these things. But the problem with that is that we are losing ourselves. And so an important part of feeling connected and feeling belonging is that you have confidence and confidence in yourself and confidence in other people. And so that when we are not authentic and we don't feel that we are seen and loved for who we truly are, then we lose that confidence in self. We lose a sense of self-worth. And I think that's the real uh, epidemic on our planet. And that is something that we don't talk enough about because we're not allowing people to be authentic, right? We're not allowing them because we don't want to hear it. If, if, if they don't ex- agree with the, the accepted narrative in our world, we don't want to hear it. You're, sh- you're shut down automatically, canceled, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I feel like the self-censoring doesn't get enough attention because Mm -hmm. it's on such a minor level. But even like I said, the fact, I mean, you know, as you said, even the premise of my show is just coming out with it, coming out with these opinions. And this climate has made it to where even I, I mean, I will sit and ruminate even after an episode, I swear to God going, oh my God, did I say this the right way? Oh shoot. I left this out. Okay. Should I just edit this part out? Okay. Okay. And I have people being like, oh my God, like it's, it's, it's that deep because I feel like we get caught up in the big, like, oh, this Marvel actor had to make an apology. Oh, this. And it's not always on that big grand scale. It's in day-to-day life. I mean, look at what's happening, you know, across industries, you know, in schools, mm-hmm. right? Um, something I'm really passionate about is kids' mental health. I mean, I talk yeah. about it on my show all the time, even in young women, I believe age 12 to 17, the suicide rate has gone up 50% since 2020. So talk to me about how this environment, like the granular aspect of the day-to-day of how this could impact them and mess with them. Cause something else I also explore on the show is how they're really suffering and, and getting hurt while adult leaders are so caught up in their petty bullshit at the cost of these young kids. You know, I think COVID is a perfect example. We were drilled with stay home, stay home, stay home, stay home, you know, have no human contact. And these kids are suffering, you know, have been suffering and it's not fair and it's not right. And no one is paying attention to them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And just to start with the whole pandemic, right? The whole COVID situation. I mean, young people, young, healthy people were not really at risk at all. Right. But they were still you know, told to stay home, you know, homeschooling, all the stuff. And they are the ones that suffer the most yep. of this. Don't even this get me started. Whole isolation, exactly. right? Like exactly. When you are at that age where you are supposed to be separating and becoming independent and like being with your friends and, and hanging out. And you couldn't even do that for two years, for two years, you know, it's, Horrible. it's crazy. The impact that that has on our, our mental health and right. And people, you know, and young people have all sorts of ways of, 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 of dealing with that. You know, some people get eating disorders and, you know, a lot of people go on medication and it's just a lot of people lose hope. 
you know, you lose, you lose trust also when we've been seeing like what, what our politicians, what our leaders, you know, how they have been dealing with this, like back and forth, like you never knew like the, what, what's going to happen in five minutes, right? Mm-hmm. If we're going to be at home or not, or like, what are the rules? So it's like, seems like there's, there's an, almost like a punishment on young, exactly. on, on a young generation. Research that came out was conflicting. Even what they were saying on the news and the politicians were saying it was conflicting. So how are you supposed to have confidence, right? In other people, let, a, let alone yourself. Yes, and when yes. that confidence, when that trust erodes, that's when we're, we're in trouble. And that, you know, trust fuel, you know, distrust fuels loneliness. And, and loneliness, you know, fuels and drives people to, toward extremism, to, to you know, uh, uprisings, uh, depression, right? Like a lot of depression, and, and, you know, either, you know, self-harm or violence toward others. And that's what we've been seeing as well with the, you know, the rise in, in mass shootings just 100%. in the last couple of years too. Yeah. And an added layer onto that is if you so much, it goes back into what you were saying earlier, like having a certain school of thought and in turn feeling lonely or isolated yeah. an added layer is if you so much as challenge or question, and it applies, Uni, you know, to so mm-hmm. many issues, COVID, you know, trans issues, um, violence. Like if you so much as question it though, and that's where the self-censoring comes in, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're punished. With that said, because I know you feel obviously so passionately about this. I hear people all the time who say, well, what do you mean? You can say whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. She's nodding. You can say whatever you want, you know, censor, you know, pe- you know, of course now everything is a left, right political divide. Right. But you know, people on the left and on the right, they're censored just as equally and blah, blah, blah. And they're all kicked yeah. off this platform, that platform algorithm, this, that, right. I just think that that's insanity. I mean, yeah. of course there is, you have to prescribe into almost like an orthodoxy school of thought. We, again, we see it happen. We see it happen in schools. We see it happen in journalism. We see it happen in medicine um, and entertainment. You know, we see it happen everywhere. So what would your thoughts be to someone who's like, well, no, you can in theory, you know, you it's, you can really just, you can say whatever you want. Well, first of all, stopping you. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, first of all, that's BS, right? I mean, it's 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 total BS that you can say whatever you want without consequences. Of course, it has consequences. And the problem is that you know we are human beings, and human beings are are we uh, are hardwired for connection. We're hardwired to belong within a group. And if you are ridiculed, if you are excluded, if you like, if you feel that you know that you're losing your friends, friends are blocking you, or, you know, deleting you canceling you because of something that you say, because something that you, you think or feel, then how are you supposed to like most people and most people today, and this is, this is even research uh, saying this most young people today, or even anyone on social media will not say what they really think. Most of us. Mm -hmm. And that's really scary. Like when, like when did, when, like, and when did this happen? Like it used to be that you could disagree and it was fine that we could have discussions, that we could be like, we could have completely different views on anything, politics, whatever. And we can still be in the same family. We could still be in the, in the same group of friends and it was okay. It was fine. But today it's not. And, and what I feel like we're living now in a totalitarian regime. And what's so funny about that, which is so, it's so, it's so hypocritical is that last year's Peace Prize was given to these journalists, one in the Philippines and one in Russia, in two like 
dictatorships, right? Like they're living in dictatorships, you know, and there, this was a shout out to freedom of speech, the right to information, all these things, right? And it's so like, you know, I was just like laughing to myself when they gave this prize out because I'm like, oh, well, they could have, might as well have given that out to any one of us, right? Because we are fighting the same thing right here. Like we don't have, you don't have to go to Russia or China or the Philippines to, to be canceled. Right. So it's really interesting. That was going to be my next thought. We're going to talk all about the Nobel um, organization and how it's corrupt and the distrust and, you know, anybody, does that sound familiar to you? I mean, really just let me know. Um, You are overseas. So that's what I wanted to ask, you know, this cancel culture, so to speak, which in and of itself has become almost like a, you know, a buzzword, but what do you, what is your general sense of the climate, you know, in the U S versus Europe versus, you know, maybe Canada, like, what is your take on, is it worse in certain parts? Is it comparable? Um, yeah, bring us, bring us over the pond. Yeah. Oh God, this is a great question. And it used to be to me, like I'm, I'm Norwegian. I was born and raised here, but I left as a young woman. I left because I didn't feel like I was allowed to be myself, that I could really be who I wanted to be right. I mean, in Norway, we have this very strong culture of conformity. Like if you, you only have value when you're, when you're belong, when you belong in the group, right? Like outside of that, like as an individual, you're, you're worth nothing. And so there's almost like this group narcissism, right? Like we, as a group are best and we know best. And who do you think you are as, as a little individual trying to say anything, right? So I didn't feel like I could be myself in that culture. So I left, like I went to the U.S. I spent time in in, in the U.S. in France and in Switzerland. And I only came back like five years ago here and I took my Swiss husband and kids with me. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's so funny to observe what I felt like. I always felt like in the U.S. I could be myself. I was, you know, it was encouraged to be yeah. you as an individual, all yeah. the yes. things, right. Yep. And what happened like Canada as well used to be this, like, yeah, to me, this like haven of freedom and lots of Europeans would move to the U S to Canada to, to live there because they felt that there, they could really be themselves and like have the freedom that they longed for. Mm-hmm. And now it's like almost crazy how that has changed. And to me, and it's funny because I've been listening to, um, you know, and reading like mainstream media news, all the things in the U S for so many years and observing how they are, you know, talking about Norway and Scandinavia as this like utopia, like the best place in the world, you know, all, you know, the welfare system, you know, the, all the, the freedom, everything. And to me, that's a really good marketing campaign on behalf of Scandinavia and especially Norway with the peace prize and everything, but they don't realize what it really is to, to live here in this culture where you're not allowed to be yourself. And, and here too, people are saying, oh, but you can say whatever you want. Like nobody's going to kill you like they do in Russia, right, you know, right, or send you to Siberia. Right, right, right. But, but yeah, but it's still a survival instinct in all of us to be part of the group, because if you don't belong to the group, you don't exist. Like you, I mean, you are dead and it's so ingrained in us as human beings. So it's not true that it, yeah, that you can say whatever you want. It's not true. So basically and, and, it's yeah. bad everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad everywhere. I mean, we, we thought we were living in democracies, right? Like we, 
democracy is is supposed to be all about freedom about freedom to to choose what you want to do freedom to 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 say like the freedom of speech is the is the foundation for our democracy and when you no longer can say what you want and you can no longer get the information that you need to make an informed decision about anything mm -hmm. right because so much of the information is censored and then they talk about like yeah there's so much fake news yeah maybe you know, maybe there are fake news, but let, but let us as people decide for ourselves, let us like have some faith in us so that we can make proper decisions and, 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 you know, and decide like, what's, what are we going to take? What are we going to, what are we going to believe in or not? Right. That's democracy. I've said the same thing. And then you have people who counter that going, well, you know, there's really stupid people out there. There are people who aren't educated and aren't informed. Well, Okay. Well, that's too bad for them then. Like, like, let us decide, let us decide for ourselves. And it became yeah. this thing where it's like, no, we have to spoon feed you everything. Um, and you're right. And even when you say, you know, to, to, like, I could even hear in my head people being like, yeah, okay, lady. Yeah, sure. What, you know, oh, okay. You know, people who buy into the group thing, mm -hmm. right? Saying, oh, here's another one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's so disempowering. I mean, we also live in a culture where, you know, where you have all these people, you know, the, all this stuff, like talking, they talk about empowerment. They talk about freedom of speech. They, 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 the talk is good, right? Like they say all the right things, but then there's no follow-up in action because, you know, it's not empowering to believe people are stupid, and that you have to spoon feed them what they're going right. to think and believe and, and, and say, mm -hmm. that's, that's a dictator talking. That's not, that's not, you know, these are not leaders of, of democracies and freedom. I completely agree. I've always said, you know, give, give people a little credit. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't want anybody. Yeah. Don't underestimate us, us, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, a segue into you know, the Nobel, you know, exposing the, this organization, I just wanted to tell you a little story I was reading yesterday that was really powerful and feeds into the story you were saying earlier about it. And this whole idea, right, is our distrust in these organizations and information. So I read a story yesterday about a man who worked for Reuters for six years. And when everything was happening with BLM, he was a, a stats guy, like making six figures, looking at all the numbers of everything. Um, and he started to look into the stats and he realized looking at all these numbers, all of these studies, one prominent one that was carried out by a black man, what the, what the news was telling us was wrong, right? They had these sensationalized headlines, like, you know, you know, black people being shot at and killed at a much more, you know, fatally killed at a, at a higher rate and, and all this and that, when he actually found that white people, uh, were killed more and that, you know, I think in one year there were 18 black people killed by police and 10,000 killed in bad neighborhoods. Yeah. Right. So why is nobody paying attention to this when there's all this sensationalism and hoopla over defunding the police when these are the communities that need the police, right? The most. So he brought this to the attention of Reuters, presented all of these studies, all of these numbers. And he gives the nitty gritty, but was met in the organization 
with so much flack talking about you talk about the loneliness problem like he was ostracized he was called names uh, by his colleagues the his piece was taken down he was called to hr no one gave him reason as to why um they said that he was you know starting shit up basically and he's like i'm just presenting the facts and i want to bring to light where this violence and where black people are really getting hurt the most right but it's like, well, you know, you can't have actually sane thinking or numbers. It's let's just go with this sensationalized narrative. And then he was fired. So I think that is a really poignant and powerful example of how deep this goes. And that, you know, Reuters reaches, you know, millions of people a day. Mm-hmm. So you can only imagine, right? So similarly, I mean, we talk about distrust and half the time we're like, we don't even, even I still, I'm like, I look at what's going on in Ukraine, this, that COVID. I'm like, I don't even know what to believe. Yeah. So you really brought this to light again with your book, Betraying the Nobel, which has me again, like salivating. Talk about how this lack of transparency and this distrust applies to this organization because again like what a what an oxymoron right yeah. nobel peace prize yeah i would have never known this call right. me naive but no you're not naive at all because you you haven't received this information because everything that you have been fed by by news internationally is about how wonderful this peace prize is and and what a great job they're doing and all these wonderful peace right. prize winners right and i thought the same thing and i'm norwegian And then in 2009, they gave the Peace Prize to Obama, right? And that was, he had been in office for less than two weeks when he was nominated, right? So like he hadn't done any of the things that the committee said that he had done. Like he hadn't even started yet. So I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's really weird. Um, Let me like look into that. (laughs) So I started researching the Nobel Peace Prize and I started looking at like what Alfred Nobel, what he wanted with his prize, like back in the last century, right? When he, when, you know, when he established his prize and, and he, like, he wanted to promote peace champions, people that stand up to abusive leaderships, people who try to unify people, create brotherhood, all the things that, you know, we believe are good. And in our culture today, what we're seeing is that a separation, right? And that which leads to so much loneliness, but we are being separated by a narrative where we are pitted up against one another. And you see like with your piece, what you were just, you know, telling me, was exactly a great example of that because we are, you know, supposed to believe that we're supposed to believe that there's more racism than maybe there is, you know, we're supposed to believe that there's this toxic, toxic racism and that only black people are attacked. And, you know, we're, we're the bad guys. And like, if you're, if you're white and black person, you can't, you know, belong and be friends and be united because you have, there are such differences, right. Separation. And if you're, Uh, like if you're a man today like this whole like we're going to get into that like the toxic masculinity and how we've been fed that story and i know you have you know struggled with you know when you spoke up about the me too movement right like you got in trouble because you know we're we're supposed to believe this narrative that like if you're a woman you can't be the abuser and you're just like oh a poor woman and like all the men are bad and like we're pitted up against one another right and and it creates so much fear and so much drama and so much you know separation that's also one you know we it creates this loneliness in us because 
we are separated and they can and they do that i believe on purpose because only when we are separated can they keep the power because i believe that there are only a few people who really actually believe this narrative that they're t- telling us to believe right i think most people want to right. keep their freedom want to keep their freedom of speech they want to also decide over their own bodies whether we're talking abortion or injections right like we want to be able to decide ourselves and you know over our you know our gender all the things we want to decide ourselves and you know if you like all the like all these new rules they have set up for us now like these mandatory things i think most people are against those but we are not allowed you know we don't dare to say it because like we don't think that other people will have our backs that's what it is it goes so deep and when this guy he wrote this article in such detail about coming out with this. And he talks about how he would ruminate being up all night, you know, checking with his wife, you know, do I come out with this? I feel like it's the right thing to do, but you know, we have BLM signs, every one of our neighbors and my colleagues. And, you know, it's like that mental anguish and that even on a granular level, again, like I'll feel that sometimes with every episode I put out or an op-ed I write, you know, when I, I wrote, you know, an unpopular opinion piece that, you know, that was a whole story with Chrissy Teigen at VH1 years ago, no, similar to him. No one had my back. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's that deep. And it's on that level of really feeling like, yeah, you'll be ostracized. No one will have your back. And it's a scary, it's a very, to your point, a very isolating yeah. thing. Yeah. It's a very scary <laughs> place that we're in. And I think just to like, I think that's also why your podcast, why, you know, Joe Rogan, why are people listening to you guys, right? Like, why are we listening like more than we are watching any other news? Like, why are we listening to you? Because we're getting something that is real and it doesn't matter. You don't have to be hundred percent correct all the time or right. Like you, you can mess up and say like stuff like, oh my God, like I, I was wrong or I changed my mind or whatever. And that's fine. That's part of being human, but we want real. And we trust you because we, we believe that we're getting something that's real. And that's yes. why, you know, people are so scared of Joe Rogan because he has so many listeners, so many people watching and listening because he's the real deal. And, and, and like, you don't have to like him. You don't yes. have to agree, yes. but at least you're getting something like someone who is humble enough to say, well, you know what, you know what? I was wrong. Like I apologize for that. hundred thing I said, you know? Yes. And it goes back into that idea of control. It's like Mm -hmm. a Joe Rogan. What is so threatening? What is so scary? You know, I've heard people be like, oh, here he is spewing this and that. What is so threatening about that? Again, it goes into the idea of let us decide for ourselves. You know, it's really that idea of um, control. And even I want to bring it back quickly before we wrap this first half up. When you talk about, even again, with the narrative, right? Obama, the Nobel prize, I can hear people again in the back of my mind going, oh, here we go. And that's a sad part too, right? Is like, you have one thought that's common sense or facts perhaps, or, you know, an observation that's not in the narrative and you're automatically some like right wing nut job. Right. Um, And something that this man who wrote the BLM piece, funny enough, who's a liberal and he says what he kind of says, like, what happened? Like liberal or not, aren't we all, especially liberals, like weren't, weren't we supposed to be about like (laughs) numbers and opposing views and thoughts and facts and actual news? Like, since when did it become this topsy turvy thing? Like what's Mm -hmm. going on here? This Mm -hmm. isn't what we're about. 
Mm -hmm. And that's what's scary. Um, And in your, so for your book, last kind of thought on this, you say they filled the committee with politicians more loyal to their political party's agenda than to the Nobel Prize's prerogative. Yeah. So do you think this is ever going to be looked into more or exposed more? Like what is really going on and why is this not more on a mainstream? I mean, I know the obvious reason as to why, but. Well, I hope something is going to change. And that's why I wrote this book because uh, I wanted to expose it and I wanted to, and I wrote it in English and I'm, my publisher is in New York and I wanted it to be exposed abroad, right? Because internationally people don't know in Norway, you like, yeah, we kind of know about it because we've seen it, you know, over the years and it's been criticized within Norway, but like it doesn't really come out internationally. And so what I discovered when I started looking into the prize and researching was that the Obama prize was the last prize in a, in a long series of years of prices that were given, you know, they gave this prize to people, not because they deserved Nobel's Peace Prize, but because they did something or said something that was in line with, with the Norwegian government's policy. Okay. Right. So it was a, it was a, and they were, they're so arrogant, Taylor, that they even say it openly, you know, at the, the reception of the prize, they say it like it's in the media, in Norwegian media, they say it like this year, you know, we given this prize. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a slap in the face to the Bush administration, because, you know, it, it's almost like they're saying, look at us, look at Norway, how we do things over here, okay. how we have this welfare system. We have this, you know, beautiful system here. We're so happy. And, you know, all the, all the things and, and look at what you were doing, like you, you capitalism, cause they're so, they're so on the left. Right. So they're like everything that is capitalism, everything that is, you know, all the things in, in the U S what, what the Bush, you know, and the, and the right, you know, was standing for, they were against. So there's like a long line of prices that were slaps in other politicians faces. Oh my God. Nothing to do. Don't even about- get me started. Like, and right. Like, it's like when it comes to capitalism, don't even get me. Okay. Obama, yeah. give up your mansions. Bye. Good luck with that. Let me know how that goes. Like, it just drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, how far back Uni does this go with the organization? Because this- With the organization? Yeah. Yes. And because this whole yeah. narrative thought control obviously is what maybe like really heightened in the last five or so years. I would say to start it way before. This is something that's, you know, it's actually the, the peace prize has been a political tool for the Norwegian government since the beginning of the price in 1905, because, you know, this, remember, you know, Norway is, was a very poor country where we're this like tiny place, poor, a poor, very poor country, right. Before, you know, we discovered oil and all the things. And so we needed protection. So, and also like first world war, we needed protection from the United States. So they gave all these prices to, uh, U.S. Uh, politicians and presidents to to like forge a bond between the two countries, right? And then after the world after World War II, we were scared of the Russians, right? Because because you know it was either like the U.S. and NATO or the Russians, right? To build up the country again after the the Nazi occupation occupation. So it's been like this political tool this whole time. But I would say, wow. especially after you know, during the Cold War and especially after, especially after, you know, the Berlin Wall came down and so the end of the the Cold War and then, you know, early 19, yeah, yeah, 1990s. That's when we've seen this like 
opposition against this like capitalism and like all this stuff like against the US you know we love you but we hate you kind of relationship right. okay and like Norway wanting to be a power player right in world politics and you know wanting to show off because then we have all this oil money and we have all this like in like we think we have a little bit of influence so there's this whole political game going on and that has nothing to do you know, like, and should not be part of the Nobel Peace Prize. Terrible. I have to look into this with the Pulitzer because yeah. that, yeah, we're, we're going to expose those hoes too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> while we wrap this first half, Uni, we have just one or two minutes um, to bring it back to the beginning, you know, especially with kids, right? And mm-hmm. the isolation and this mm-hmm. really toxic culture war and thought control. Some resolutions that you would, that you would offer I always say that we, we, th- I talk about the three C's, the, th- the three elements that we need all need to feel connected. And the first one is confidence, confidence in self and confidence in other people, which is trust. Right. And then there's contribution, which is really uh, a basic human need for us, because when we give of ourselves, when we feel that we, we matter, that increases also our sense of self-worth and it makes us feel like, okay, you know, there's, there is a, there's a sense to my life, right? So contribution, giving of yourself, any, like any type of like anything you can do to like be, you know, connect, connect with other people and help them. Also that gets us out of our own heads and just like into a whole other state of mind, right? Like when we actually think about other people. So that's, you know, the, the, the second C. And then the third C is connections. So cultivating relationships and so those are the three elements that we that we all need. And I think to begin with, um, the most important thing we can do right now is to strengthen, to discover our sense of self-worth, our you know, self-confidence, and to build on that. Because only when we do that will we be courageous enough to, to speak up, to stand up, and to actually, you know, like come together as one people and unify despite the things that they're trying to separate us, like between blacks and white, between, you know, male and female, all the things like we need to like be courageous enough. And, but in order to have that courage, we need to work on our, 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 you know, our sense of self worth. It's like, I get up in the morning and I just like sit down and for two minutes, I like take a deep breath. And I ask myself, like, how can I love myself a little more today? Like, how can I respect myself a little more today? Yep. And it's compassion on both sides, not just the side that, you know, people are ramming home, you know, supposedly for the underdog or, you know, the, the fringe or the minority or this or that, like not, which is a perfect segue into part two, which is Calvin Klein having the audacity to run with a campaign they ran with. And then on top of it, saying that they were going to block and silence anyone who disagreed with them. So that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, sure, have your message, but you're then going to go as far as, you know, bullying and silencing people who dare to disagree. So Mm -hmm. compassion on all sides, you a-holes. I'm going to wrap up this part. Uni, we're going to go into part two on that note, all things gender. So everybody stay tuned for that. Okay, great. I'll see you there. Yeah, perfect. Perfect.